This week on The Other Kind Radio, home box office for real, euphoria in time for the holidays, and what to make of Mank. We also have a belated birthday wish for myself there, all that, and then some headed your way. It's December 5th, 2020, and this is episode 103. here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast known as The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio is a bi-weekly podcast now in which Todd and Jeff ping ping pong, ping pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, the kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. Before we get too far into this pop culture potpourri of popcorn, We encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe to The Other Kind Radio. By doing so, you are helping feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. This episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you in part by Pub 134. Pub 134 is a cozy, 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 really? Cozy pub located in Maple Village at 90th and Maple right here in Omaha, Nebraska, right here in the Big O. And I said last week, I'll say again this week, I've been to a lot of pubs in my time here on this ball of mass flying through space. (laughs) And Pub 134 134 is far by one of my favorites. Sorry, folks. We'll have a little uh, explanation of why I can't talk here in a moment. Anyway, Pub 134 Check them out. They're on Instagram. You can go at Pub134Omaha. Their website is Pub134.com. They have drink specials. They've got talented bartenders that'll take good care of you. They always have some sports on. If Nick's there, he'll be more than happy to break down film, TV shows, and sports. Here's a hint, though. Nick is always right. Just remember, Nick is always right. Pub134, check it out. All right, let's welcome on my podcast partner as I continue to stumble and bumble my way through the intro of the show. Glad to glad to see that while some things change, some things stay the same. All right, he is a family generator, film school graduate, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, Die Bar Boom Box founder, an all-around renaissance man, live from a studio in the great state of Texas and delivering the pop culture significance to the number 103 or 03. Please, let's welcome Todd. I, I just want to ask if the reason you're stumbling is to make me feel better because I told Jeff that I hope it's okay if, I, if I'm if i honest about what I told you leading into this, that <laughs> last night I decided to partake a little bit too much of the the spirits that adults might consume at times. And I said, Hey, I may be a little groggy. So are you just trying to make me feel good this morning? Set the bar low. <clears throat> and then all you can do is, ra- <laughs> is, is raise it up. 
I, I am so petrified that my brain at some point, not that it won't work, but that I will stumble, that I will make a mistake. And here you come out of the gate. That's right. You do great all the time. You always put yourself down, but oh. you, you had a couple of moments there. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just curious what's going on, Jeff. Well, you know, before we get into the significance of uh, 103 or 03, we'll share with the um, <clears throat> with a kind listener that, in fact, my birthday was earlier this week. And I used to do this bit on Facebook, and I realized that this morning when I was awake at 3 a.m., um, and I thought I'd, I thought I'd get, in, get it going again. So with each birthday, you have a new operating system installation. I'm running version 4.8. I think you're running version 5.1 or 2. Here's a clue, kids. The, uh, the version is your birth, is your, is your age, just with a dot. So I'm 4.8, you're... Oh, I see what you're, yeah. you're getting here. I, I I can't tell you that. I'd have to shoot you. Tell you. <laughs> so anyway, I'm running. Say it again. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I stepped on you. No, no, no forget it. Go ahead. So I'm running uh, 4.8 is my new. I had that installed last night around 3 a.m. Usually takes a couple days to download. Uh, with this operating system 4.8, there are some new features. <clears throat> One of which I found out is, is an application called what? And I did run a systems check, and it's it's an app that is since its installation is uh, is used quite a bit, and that's the uh, that's what that's that app. So I don't know if you have that installed in your operating system, but I do mine. Um, also installed, uh, I just want a good night's sleep. Exe. Um, I'm very excited about this app because I I do, and I think it uh, will be very useful. Uh, distinguished.exe was also installed. Uh, I didn't know what that was, but then I had to read the the notes on it, and it's basically uh, more gray hair being blended in. Distinguished.exe. Um, when I mentioned to you that I had had too much to drink and I might be slow, <laughs> and you're throwing out all this stuff, and it's it's really solid humor. I just want to say that right away. I am so being lapped by you. You're just going, and I'm doing my best to grasp it. onto your bumper and hang on for dear life. I think actually you have the same thing in common with our audience, and they're just like, and how long is this bit? I wish he'd put in there when it'd be over. Um, also, the the last uh, new installed. Uh, software is I genuinely care about weather.exe. Um, for some reason, it, I hadn't picked that software up until 4.8. So, because I do, I find myself um, very interested in what the weather's going to be for the day. Uh, there are some bugs that I found in the system. Um, <clears throat> Zipup.exe has been failing to load a few times. Uh, just this past week, I have had it pointed out with those around me that my fly is down <laughs> and there is no conversation stopper faster than like, yo, I was thinking on Saturday, we're going to have a picnic and like, uh, your fly is down. Oh, I'm sorry. You could be I, preaching the, the solution to cold fusion. And if you had your fly down, everybody would forget. What were we going to say? I, I do know one thing that was installed with my recent birthday, which is in this bit dot gov dot whatever 
and I'm just trying to help you get it out of it. And let's move on to the significance of the number. Hold on. There's one more. Oh, God. One more app that's uh, got bugs, which is uh, rem uh, re remember where I put my dot exe is also failing. I am not remembering where I put something and I spend more time than I want to wandering around the house wondering where I put my All right. That's it. We're done. We all survived. Kids, what'd you think? Oh, okay. All right. I feel like that was maybe a little forced. I, I installed that forget where my stuff is long ago. <laughs> and, you know, that people started accusing me of being old when I, think when I was 20 something. But what? Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, I think we've lost control of the show. Have, we have. It's officially now a one long bit. <laughs> And I kind of like that. So let's not be the other kind of radio. Let's be the bit kind radio. The bit. The bits. Give me the bits. All right. So what's going on with the number 103 or 03? Well, I have to say right away, I'm I'm pretty excited because as we were prepping for the show this morning, and as I detailed, like I said to Jeff, that I might be stumbling over myself, I stumbled upon a new pop culture site that's got some pretty cool, fun things because I had worried a lot about how are we going to find something significant that's interesting at all about what happened in pop culture? But here's this lovely site. So I'm going to run down a few things that happened in 1903. Oh, okay. Uh, if that's okay. Absolutely. So first off, now this is such an arbitrarily stupid little bit, but I can't avoid it. Can't be any top, dumber than the bit I did earlier. <laughs> top 10 baby names of 1903. Yes. And these are the most innocuous. <laughs> I mean, when you hear this, you're gonna be like, wow, that was really what was happening. But I guess, you know, when you start factoring in that this was all that time ago, you'll, you'll be, oh, okay, I get it. So Mary, mm. Helen, Anna, Margaret, Ruth, John, William, James, George Charles. Now, if you watch the most recent season of uh, The Crown, that does sound like one royal person's you know name. But huh. but here's some interesting things for you. John Pulitzer donated one million dollars to Columbia University in 1903, and founded the Pulitzer Prize because of that. It's the first time we ever had the Pulitzer Prize. Tour de France began in 1903. I really didn't know that that was you know that relatively new the first box of crayola crayons sold for five cents it contained the colors brown red orange yellow green blue violet and black hmm yeah five cents man that was a, that was probably a fortune back then ford motor company was incorporated for henry ford as though it would be for anyone else. I don't right. know why I didn't say that. They probably, they probably still had a brainstorming session, you know? Bob, what do you think? Oh, I think we should call it Chevy. And Ford was like, no, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, there, there was my brain catching up. Once again, I'm <laughs> latching on to Jeff's bumper and I'm holding on. But probably the, the one that hit me and where I got the most excited, and this is because of, to an extent, what we're talking about today on Center Stage, whatever we call that now, the main feature thing. Um, 1903 saw the release of Edwin S. Porter's film, The Great Train Robbery, which, if you're not familiar with it, it is the film that um, 
you've probably seen a thousand times the clip of, of a man facing the camera with a gun and shooting. And he's got, you know, like a mustache and things like that. And smoke went out of it. it uh, I had that up. Let me see how long. It's not a very long film. Um, of course, it's not there in front of me. But what the reason I, I, I'm so excited about it. Oh, there it is. It's 11 minutes. 11 minutes long. The reason that I'm so excited. What's is it called again? The Great Train Robbery. Okay, I'll post it on uh, social media for the, the kind listeners. The reason I'm so excited to mention that is that, you know, it, we're going to talk about the creation of perhaps one of the most famous films of all time. And when that was created, I know these are things that Orson Welles went and looked at. And the shot of this man putting his gun toward the, the camera actually created panic in the theaters people saw even though it's you know a big image they they saw him shooting and they were freaked out by that when films first came out people were terrified they saw trains coming and they thought they were going right. to get killed by it this is one of those types of films so 1903 the the language of film was so new that it was terrifying one thing i want to add on there to your uh Great summary of 1903. So Pulitzer donated a million dollars, which would be roughly 20 and a half, 29 and a half million dollars mm. in today's money. So that that's a that's some coin. Yeah. Coin, coin, coin. I I had no idea that, you know, it was something along those lines that he donated that and they create the uh, the award in turn. Right. That's what you do. I mean, especially if you give them a million dollars. That's all yeah. we have to do if we want to make the other kind of radio award. Is it would be twenty nine, or you know, one million dollars, and then. Well, you you know what would happen is um, the what dot exe would occur because people would say you you got the what what oh I'm sorry I, I'm sure if you get a shot that'll clear right up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else for uh, 1903? That is it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. What do you think, kids? Okay. All right. They're 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 active today. Um, well, let's move on to news. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on the air, and we've got a few things. We'll start out first. Um, <clears throat> the actor that played one of the most iconic characters in uh, sci-fi history, film history, I'm sure they recognized all over the country, uh, past and, and Todd's got his actual details and everything. I do. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I do. <laughs> David Prowse, the man that played Darth Vader passed away on the, um, the 28th. This man famously had a lot of battles with George Lucas over the Darth Vader character. He really? was, it. Oh, you didn't know about those? No, I didn't tell me. Um, so he he was very taken aback when he saw the original Star Wars and his voice was not used. He oh, thought oh. he would be the person to have his voice come out. Well, if you ever listen, Mark Hamill will actually tell some stories that are pretty funny about it. And I think Carrie Fisher did too, where you know he had this very soft, almost kind of just hello. <laughs> and they said it it killed them because they would show up to the set and here was this big scary guy in the black stuff and it was like, hey, come here, I'm not going to hurt you. You know, you can actually find that footage of him speaking and it will jar the crap out of you. Right. Um. So he he gets upset. Uh, he then apparently at some point 
may, had an interview with newspapers where he said something akin to, and this is before Empire Strikes Back comes out. He says something akin to, you know, Vader will end up being like Luke's father or something like that. Whoa, spoiler alert. Come on, Darth. Well, the thing was, is George wasn't even 100% sure that was going to happen <laughs> at that time. He, and he right. even, he, like, I w didn't know for sure. But it, 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 it isn't that he says he is his father, but it's kind of just that flippant type right. thing. Right. Really made George mad. George all but excommunicated him uh, because of that. When they shot Empire Strikes Back, he was given a dummy line. Uh, I want to say that he tells Luke something like, uh, Obi-Wan killed your father. Oh. And so he was not allowed to know anything. And then he, he sort of got pushed aside and whatnot. Now, look, he got pushed aside and he went on the circuit to uh, sign autographs and whatnot. So he made tons of bank off of Star Wars. And, you know, he was not hurting for it, but... I mean, the man had a long, long career in film. He he did a lot of stuff. He was offered Chewbacca, but he before. wasn't. He wasn't tall enough. <laughs> That's right. So, the guy that played Chewbacca was six six, and I believe this gentleman was six one. And he 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 decided I don't want to something like I don't want to be the monkey. It was something along those lines. He oh, did not just be the monkey. And he he picked the guy in black. So is that why is that why Lucas had him thrown down a pit? No, wait, that was the emperor. I guess that's why Lucas just had him killed, right? He was like yeah. kind of. So, but that same guy did play the character in all three of the first Star Wars films, four, five, and six, right? Yes, that is correct. You know, and and again, like I said, he had a long. Uh, career his let's see i'm looking his career began in 67 he worked all the way through 2017 um and i mean it was a lot of crappy horror films originally but mm -hmm. he was the bodybuilder he was in uh clockwork orange oh uh, yeah and he, he was a he was a, a award-winning bodybuilder i guess if yes that's a problem yeah okay so, I mean, David Prowse had a lot of stuff going for him. Unfortunately, COVID came along, and that appears to be what he's passed yeah. away from, is it, it it took him away from us. Well, rest in peace, uh, and thank you for uh, giving us Darth Vader. Sorry that you weren't tall enough to beat Chewbacca. That's not, that's not fair. All right, um, on to another headline that you sent me, I think, yesterday, that I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying... We're on the forefront of what's going on in pop culture and film these days. But you and I have had, and those kind listeners uh, that have been with us for a while, have heard us talk about the movie industry and what's going on now and what was going on before COVID and everything. And boy, was I excited to see this uh, headline that you sent me in regards to HBO Max and what they've worked out with. I, I want to say Warner Brothers. Is that right? Yeah, well, basically they own that property. That is, you know, Warner Brothers, HBO. That is all got it tied together. But the the big news is that Warner Brothers is going to release all of its new 2021 films simultaneously on HBO Max, and that is huge. That yeah. is enormous news because I mean, you're looking at the first, yeah, <laughs> and yes. Yay! Um, <laughs> the first major seismic shift, yes, towards a, a, a new way to consume media. And we've talked many times about 
movie theaters, you know, the, the whole experience and what Jeff and I have thought where we, we go in and we don't like somebody talking. We don't like them wrestling their, their popcorn bag, whatever it may right. be. This now shifts it because of COVID that look, we're going to put these things in theaters, but at the same time, we're going to let you watch it at home. Now I did see something this morning where AMC theater chain is incredibly upset saying, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we still make our money. And I get that. Right. But I hate to tell the the theater chains, you're basically looking right now like a lot of people did when the music industry shifted away from going and buying CDs and and it became more about getting your streaming type stuff. So Mm -hmm. things change. Um, I don't see this ever being able to go back. A little whiff of, of, of blockbuster, you know, in the air as well. Oh, that's a, that's a great, great thought, Jeff. I mean, it's how, how can you open this door and then close it? Right. Um, that article with AMC, the, the writer did speak of, you know, you're going to have to look at the theaters understanding that, you're going to have to make bigger screens, bigger sound systems, even more plush seats. You're going to have to do things to attract people because now because of COVID, they know they can watch this stuff at home. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting shift. I'm super excited because I mean, there's a ton of movies that I want to see that I don't have to worry about getting out there and bugging myself to, you know, deal with people I don't like. And some, and some of those movies include matrix four, which is Mm -hmm. huge Dune, which is another huge one. And I thought there was one more. Um, well, I've got, I've got a list of what they say are their things here. Let me, um, and I'm just going to go through all of it. Sure. Tom, Jerry, uh, King, really Godzilla versus King Kong. Okay. I didn't know that was uh, moral <laughs> combat, the conjuring, the devil made me do it. I'm excited because in the Heights, the film version of the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical, is going to be there uh suicide squad mm. and yeah matrix four those are the the big ones probably the others are a little smaller but i mean that's a that's a massive amount of movies that are going to come out and they're not going to delay them they're going to bring them to your house which i'm um, you know again moving forward requires looking at a situation and and seeing what you can do both technologically and then and then you know um so social wise, as far as, you know, getting people the content they want and it's going to cause a change. And, um, again, we've talked about it. I know the kind of listeners listened to it a couple times. Just, this was something that I had to pinch myself because like you said, once this door is open, it's almost the same thing as Netflix becoming a powerhouse as far as creating film, which we're going to talk about one today. It's going to be very difficult to go back, but I commend HBO because I think it's at the end. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the consumer and all the things, because you're talking about family of four in most cities going out to movies, a hundred bucks. In fact, I'd like to bring up, um, there's a new version of, uh, when I was growing up or it's that series that did like toys that you played with when you grew up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the latest one is Christmas movies. So they do a making of, uh, nightmare before Christmas. And in that, um, Tim Burton's like the hottest thing. He's doing Batman. He's doing all this stuff. And he gets money, $24 million in the end, to make 
the Nightmare Before Christmas, and it flops. It doesn't sell. People are not interested. But then they go to release to DVD, and it's a huge success. People are buying it up and everything. So it leads to an interesting conversation of <clears throat> you spend $100 for a family of four to go see a movie, and basically you're entertained, let's say, call it even at two, two, two and a half hours at most. And then you go home, and that's it. You bought expensive popcorn and sugar and candy and all this other stuff. Especially after COVID, people are like, well, if I'm going to spend that amount of money, why don't I just spend a quarter of that or 20% of that and own it and be able to watch it or subscribe to a service that I can watch it as many times. So it's a slow wheel, but it's turning and it'll be really interesting, especially over the course of this next year, as we talk about it more, how this continues to grow and then what other media companies follow suit. And, and, well, and, yeah. and that's an interesting part to it too, Jeff, that, I mean, first off, this also includes that they, they've said that these films are going to be released in 4K Ultra HD and HDR. So that's a huge thing. For wow. Because they there had been talk that they were going to kind of hold back on the quality. You might just get a high def, but you wouldn't get the 4K. Well, and a lot of people are like, why does that matter? Well, it matters because what they're saying is these are the definitive versions of these films. We're giving them to you. Right. Um, this also, to your your point there, it it opens the door for other discussions to take place. One of the biggest things that's happened with HBO max. And one of the reasons I can't help, but think Warner media said, let's do this mm -hmm. is they've had an ongoing battle with Roku about, can you see HBO max on a Roku device? Well, why is that important? Because Roku owns, I want to say 40% of the market for, home consumption well now hbo feels like they have a little leverage because everybody wants to see their movies mm -hmm. the very long story short these are the things that happen the dominoes that fall so right. that we can begin to have that going forward now i i could see a way for uh the, these media companies to make up a little bit of money and sort of at least i want to say close that door but it, let, let's say they wanted to look at the potential revenue loss. I'm such a film freak that if HBO max came to me and said, Hey, we're going to do this new model where you get all our HBO max catalog, but we're going to start giving you brand new releases on the day they're in theaters. And to get that, all you have to do is pay us $50 more a year. I'd go. Okay. For me, I could see that they may do that. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, but I don't think that door ever gets closed. Otherwise, I think you've got to allow people to consume this because here's what's going to happen now that we've done this. And have you seen the, the stats also that, uh, that the sales for like nice TVs have actually gone up during the COVID age. And it's oh, because yeah. of that. I mean, people are, are consuming. They're like, Hey, I'm at home now. Let me buy a big TV. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if that occurs and I now have a big TV, you can't tell me no. Right, right, right. And one other thing that you said there that was really interesting, and now I'm in the same bucket as you are because I'm trying to remember <laughs> what it was. But basically, I think it was something along the lines of, uh, I remember now. Um, yeah, and when I like what they're doing, what HBO Max is doing is just just do 2021. They're, they're not making any long-term stays. They're right. saying, hey, for 2021, if you have our service, when there are movies come out, you're going to have them and be able to watch them. Absolutely. And I think they're doing the smart thing. Run it for a year. Let their let their employees crunch the numbers. And then, yeah, then you can do a tiered system um, and or 
you know, because you're going to have people that are gonna, just going to buy it for the 30 days that the movie comes out and then cancel. I mean, there's other ways you can do it. So, yeah, great point there in bringing that up. Um, right along those same uh, lines with HBO Max, uh, for those uh, who listen to the show know that uh, Todd and I were both big fans of the HBO Max series Euphoria. And I did see um, an article in passing this past week that they do have two, and, and I thought it was one, uh, Todd corrected me earlier, two episodes, two new episodes of Euphoria. They're supposed to be kind of like a holiday season, harkens back to when The Office, the British version of The Office came out, they would do a season, and then they would do a Christmas special. So that's on there. Todd's got some more details, but I think that's great. Yeah, the only reason I knew that it was not just one was my daughter is so incredibly wrapped into the show that she is just over the moon right. uh the first episode is simply called rue and i don't see where the other episode is but one of the uh actors from it made sure to to tweet out that hey look this is not the new season but the thing is is this this show was such a monumental achievement last year that uh, it was hard to watch at times, especially as a parent, when you see these kind of things occurring. But if you haven't taken the time to watch it, get out there and watch this. I, I haven't seen these at all, but at the same time, it doesn't hurt. And as I'm looking, apparently there is a free trial on HBO Max right now if you want to see these. So get out there and watch it. Uh, it, it tells the story of rue who is a young lady battling addiction and has a lot of other issues and the friends around her and some of these things are very heightened realities such as you know they're going through very hard times but that heightened reality hits pretty hard yes and it's well worth watching i think it's i think it's interesting that you've got a daughter that's similar in age not 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 right on but my first thought was like wow this would be kind of something concerning you know because it has some very some very adult ish issues uh that are discussed but then as i was thinking about a little bit more i actually think it's good i mean what better way to kind of have an open discussion at the dinner table or whatever when you guys are hanging out and say you know wow that was interesting do you have any questions or you know we'll get just getting their feedback on what they think is going on so i i yeah i think it's a good thing that's i've always been that way with my kid that let's watch it let's see what right. this is let's talk about it my dad raised me in that manner with movies you know take me to things that weren't just weren't just star wars we would yeah. see those but then you know he i, I forget what year one flow of the cuckoo's nest came out oh boy he took me to see that when i was a kid and you know i knew dad was a psychologist but at the same time that was a little disturbing for a kid that what <laughs> right. dad did was simply say you know we we don't look at people with mental health issues and we and act afraid of them right we, we do what we can to help and that sort of opened my mind oh, okay well and i think that's important for parents these are not always easy things to watch or easy things to discuss but your kid is on the face of this earth because of you and they need answers so they can keep pointing in the right direction and i will stop uh being the over bearing person who tells you how to raise your kids but at the same time <laughs> no that was nice these are these are good things to discuss with your kid yeah yeah no i don't think you were being you're telling uh, the kind listener how to, how to parent i think it's important because I, I can't remember and i, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because we got a lot of talk to talk about but i remember my parents take me to see things like coal miner's daughter when it came out i know i was fairly young when that came out gandhi was another one 
Um, and, and, and yeah, and even when stuff like VHS or HBO or some of those things came out, you know, they were like, yeah, watch it. Cause you know, what better way to just go ahead and kind of get that, that out of the way. Uh, of course there was always the uncomfortable sex scene when you're sitting there watching the movie with, <laughs> with your parents and you're like, Oh, it's funny because I, there are things that they took me to see there. There's the film, uh, Papillon with Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. I were, I remember that it wasn't always, Hey, let's take Todd and have these tough discussions because for whatever <laughs> reason, when we saw that they got my butt up and we left the theater. And now I've seen it since. I don't know what it was that tripped them off and said, we got to go. Oh, but there were moments where they thought it was too much. To I do. just see you with like your, your hand, little hands on a big bucket of popcorn in your soda. And you're like, what, what's, what's going on? You know? See, you can't do that because this is where my wife would come in and oh. tell you that because of my dad's habits with popcorn, I am not a nice person. Don't touch my popcorn before it starts. Cause dad would eat like half the bucket of popcorn and give me the leftovers. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no. Right. So yeah. Todd didn't have those lovely, sweet ideas. <laughs> didn't have the popcorn. All right. Well, thank you for those news. And there's just a couple headlines for you, the kind listener to take into the next week. Uh, do I, you know, I mentioned it in the beginning of the show and I do want to let everybody know the reason why, one of the reasons why we've gotten bond weekly is, uh, we got some in, I was kids say IRL or in real life stuff going on. So Todd and I are going to, you know, we figured bi-weekly would be a little easier to schedule around. Um, and we'll see what this next year brings. And if we can pick it back up to weekly, then we will, but, um, do appreciate you hanging out with us and, and staying strong during this this time of change. All right, um, let's get into <laughs> probably one of the most rushed decisions as far as what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, he, uh, tip of the cap to uh, my father. Uh, Pop stopped by, uh, we did a distance hello, social distance hello on my birthday. He and mom came over, it was very sweet. It was great to see him and, and chat with him a little bit. And then, you know, as parents often do, he's like, so I think, I think Mank comes out tomorrow. And, uh, you know, some things stay the same. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. I think it comes out like in a couple of weeks or whatever. He's like, no, I, I think it comes out tomorrow. Sure enough, he was right. Then as fast as I could, I texted Todd and said, hey, do we want to talk about this on the 5th? And uh, he said, yeah, I, I watched it this morning. So last night I started it. <clears throat> then got busy then i'm like i'll watch it when i go to bed put it on when i went to bed immediately fell asleep just because i was tired not because of the movie woke up about three o'clock in the morning started it again and fell asleep again so i have the first half of the movie down pat (laughs) so uh, i don't think there's any huge turns i don't think there's any spoilers uh but if you haven't seen mank yet you might want to hit pause but I am still ready to talk about it because even for half of the movie, I'm just really excited to talk about this. Todd's got the tail of the tape, going to fill you in on the details, but we're talking about Netflix's um, show, a movie called Mank, which is, uh, I wanted to say, continuation or precursor to Citizen Kane. With those answers and more, here's Todd. So Mank is the the story about herman mankiewicz uh during a, herman mankiewicz being probably one of the great early film 
authors, one of the, one of the people that sort of set the stage for how things would go moving forward. The, his contribution to film cannot be denied. I want to get all of this out there right away. Sure. Because this film doesn't cover the entirety of his career. It right. covers one specific thing. And that is that by the time he was, I think when he does this, he's in his forties, which you look at the way Gary Oldman portrays him. He is just beat down, washed up, alcoholic, gambling, whatnot. And he gets the task of helping Orson Welles, who at the time would be 25 years old when he came to Hollywood. He gets the task of helping the young Wonderkin write his first film. So for those of you who have not heard in our, our show, this, this show, the way we do it now, I think started really having its central focus when Jeff challenged me <laughs> that Citizen Kane could not be the most important film ever created. And, you know, I, at that point you, you have officially tried to sink my battleship and I have to stop you. And right. we, we then went through the AFI 100 and we got to Citizen Kane. This film is the landmark achievement, simply not because it is the greatest film, but because it is an incredibly important film that sort that not just sort of it changed the way that american films were made it changed right. the way that all films were made because even the foreign uh what would become the french new wave had seen the film and and screenings and whatnot and it became the way that they looked at how to do things so this film tells that section of herman mankowitz's life now i'm going to start with the interesting thing did you catch who wrote this film jeff I'm going to counter your, did I know who wrote this film with no, but uh -huh. did you see who helped write the score? Atticus something. I know Trent Reznor did. Trent Reznor has done. So this is directed by David Fincher. David Fincher of Zodiac, uh, Seven, Alien 3. Um, social network, just a fantastic director. And, right. you know, Mindhunter, which we've talked about, it's on Netflix, just fantastic. Trent Reznor's composed, I think, just about every one of Finchner's scores. Which, congrats to him, because uh, also like Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, that score was written by the lead singer of Oingo Boingo, mm -hmm. who had songs like, what was it, Dead Man's Party or whatever. Uh, yeah. So good for Trent, because, you know, Nine Inch Nails, came out, uh, especially um, Pretty Hate Machine, came out in a very important part of my life with relationships and breakups and stuff. So Trent, I feel a tight bond with him because many of his songs echoed some of the young angst that was in my heart. So to see his name up there and him using his creative gifts to add to the uh, atmosphere, the ambiance of a film made, made my heart happy. I I I never connected with Trent Reznor in that way, but I and I didn't know that about you. Um, I do. The funny thing was, as a musician, whenever I heard Trent Reznor's music originally, I was kind of like, eh, pfft, yeah, it's a little angsty for me. <laughs> now I look and and I I feel much the same way I did about you know I all but ignored Nirvana when they came right, out, right? And I kind of look back and I'm like, I was an idiot. This dude is beyond amazing. Um, 
let, let's just simply say real quick with the log line from uh, yes, IMDb. Absolutely. That it follows the film follows screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz's tumultuous development of Orson Welles' iconic masterpiece, Citizen Kane. What it does is it doesn't just make this a, hey, he wrote this and they did this. It weaves itself through what happened to Mankiewicz that allowed him to then take the elements of his life and contribute them to Citizen Kane. If you're not familiar with Citizen Kane from the standpoint of not just the film, how important it is, but the battle that ensued over Citizen Kane, then, then let me open that door to you that famously it tells the story of a media magnate who goes out and sort of wrecks everything around him in pursuit of his lost love of something, which is that the very first of it, he says, Rosebud, the battle that ensued because of this is it, it it's a very thinly veiled attack on um, William Randolph Hearst, who was probably the most powerful person there was at that time. Well, a lot of people attributed that attack to Orson Welles, but if you, there are a couple of wonderful books out there that will tell you how it really wasn't Wells so much that had the details of that it's Mankiewicz Mankiewicz became yeah. friends with dear friends with uh uh good uh, William Randolph Hearst longtime girlfriend lover what do you want to call her uh Marion Davies and he decided to take the elements that he saw there yeah. and contribute to something now I think this film as a whole kind of lets go of the idea that Wells had anything to do with that. I think that that's a mistake from the standpoint of, look, Wells was who he was, and he's also the director of that. He had a lot to do with, go with that. And right. they, they tried other things. He, in fact, in the film, they talk about that he tries to basically do Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which for the film nerds eventually becomes Apocalypse Now with Francis Ford Coppola. But he tried to do these things, but Mankiewicz, you know, came in and he, he wrote, he delivered a, a script called the American and it was just an attack on the lifestyle of these people. And it was because of the politics of the time, because of the depression, he saw things as hurtful and harmful to the, to the nation. And he decided to write this film. Um, real quick, just for the kind listener, one of the thoughts very well summed up. One of the thoughts I had for the kind listener, um, what would you, which order would you recommend? Would you recommend watching Citizen Kane first and then watching this or watching Mank first and then Citizen Kane? Wow, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, I, man, I, I'm hesitant to answer because it, it literally is chicken and the egg. You okay. know? Uh, All right. Look, I, I would I would say that you need to watch Citizen Kane before you watch anything. If you're if you're stepping into <laughs> that, I want to be a great film lover. Go watch it. But it's the go watch it and understand that you need to go watch it again later on. Right. Because once you kind of had a little bit of a film understanding and then you watch it again, it literally is like somebody has just sort of wiped the world clean. You go, I see it now. Right. And I think even going through the AFI and the order that you and I did, where I watched a lot of the other films, films that were influenced by Citizen Kane, for me, it was kind of a, a wonderful ride because 
at the it, there was something at the end of the rainbow, so to speak, at the end of that that um, that quest, if you will, to go through the AFI Top 100 because it was nice to see the source of some of the inspiration in some of those films that were lower on the AFI Top 100. Um, so I agree with you 100%. And it's a movie, definitely, I could tell when I started, Mank, that it was a movie that I was going to need to watch a couple times because there's so many things. It's it's almost like I want to watch it one time with the sound off just so I can watch the cinematography. Then I want to just listen to it because I ended up listening to it a lot of it because I was falling asleep, but I was still hearing it. And then I want to combine those two and watch for everything else because the cinematography and the way that they have incorporated the feel of Citizen Kane into this film is just brilliant. They do a great job. There's even some very, very on the nose uh, uh, references and or tributes, if you will, to Citizen Kane when Mank drinks that liquid and the bottle falls out of his hand. I immediately right. was like, oh, I, I, I recognize that. I remember that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. In today's digital age, now, first of all, I guess, do you, do you think that that movie was shot digitally or do you think they used film? Oh, that is film because I'm going to tell you it's, it's one thing that caught my eye. Cigarette burns? Well, it's actually, I hate to get this nerdy. No, let's get nerdy. Let's do it. Moment there are moments when you can actually see the grain of the film and it is now you can use a digital filter to sort of put grain in there. Oh, right. it's green. It is. There are moments where the, it pans across and it'll almost to our digital eyes. It looks like, Ooh, that's kind of a crappy image. I was sitting there going, Oh my God, I'm so happy. That's, I mean, it's film. It is film, 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 film. I will go so far as to say that I would almost guarantee you as well that they used and this sounds so trivial but they used a red filter on that film mm. because red filters in front of that kind of approach sort of i don't i don't know if the correct way to say it is they desaturate the color balance but it gives that more stark look and you look at this film and you're right jeff it is it it's a direct homage to Kane itself visually because they even do things like uh, in Kane there are famous moments where they decided to have dissolves in the film but the dissolve really occurred because the light was turned down around somebody their their key lights so the character would would remain in focus and lit everything else would dissolve around them because right. the lights were turned off I mean when they did that I was like I I paused the film and I went okay I got to go get a cup of coffee right now because that was so brilliant was I it, just need to Was it that on. first one where they're in the house and the lights go out and then all you see is that window yeah well, yeah that's a direct, I mean that one yeah. definitely is homage to at the very first of it the, right. the whole building sequence as Kane dies there are moments where that every time at the first of that film every time the film cuts the light in his window to his in his mansion gets closer or position. It's almost always in the same part of the screen. Yeah, but yeah, that that one too. That wow. So, because I want to touch on this too. I'm glad you said it was film because, to me, um, to add the effects later is kind of meh. You know, it's it doesn't make that much sense. But the other thing I want to talk about, and I, it's funny, I learned about this in Fight Club. There's a scene in Fight Club in which Brad Pitt teaches you about what are called cigarette burns in film. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. basically, if I remember correctly, it's where they mark that there needs to be a change uh, in the film or maybe an edit. I can't remember specifically, but I did notice that in the film, 
there are those times, and, and for the kind listener, cigarette burn is where you see that little round circle, and I think it's in the upper right-hand corner, quick, mm-hmm. just a pops on and comes off, and I guess that's where they were marking reels or something like that. Um, so then I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Todd about that, because I'm like, well, please don't tell me that they're just adding that digitally, because I understand you want to be authentic and, and pay tribute, but... Um, you know, it, to me, I think it would have cheapened it, which kind of leads me to my next point because it goes along. You know, you can't have a movie. You got your visual side and you got your audio, audio on it. Let me tell you something. They not as much work as that went into using real film and giving it that 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 feel, that Citizen Kane feel. They did the same thing with the audio, and I listened to it with my my headphones on. And that initial scene when they're in the room and they're and they're all talking, it's. It's done like it was actually recorded on a sound stage with a microphone from that time. And it's it's gorgeous. It sounds a little distant, sounds a little off. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it, it not off is in sync. It's just not right in your ears. But it lends authenticity that you there too are in the room. Because it's like you would hear it in the room. If you're in a room with a bunch of people and somebody talks, it's not like they're right here in your ear. They're going to be <laughs> off a bit. Yeah, we we expect oftentimes to have it sound right. abnormal, that very clear, defined tone, because that's what mo- the movie language has become. But you're right; I notice that same thing with that sound right away. It's wow, this is it, it, to me. That's even hearkening a bit to Kane. That kind yes. of let's be truthful about this. It sounds a little bit like you're in a cave during that first scene, yep. and and things are echoing, and it's almost hard to hear, but it's so true. I mean, it's one thing to take a movie and just simply copy some of the shots mm-hmm. and or lighting and or sound, but this is a wholehearted effort of not only paying tribute and honor to that original film, but also letting it be a film that can stand on its own as well. I do, before we get too far, I don't want to forget, but whoever or however, whenever, they got that actor to play Orson Welles. Oh my God, his voice. He's got such a haunting voice mm. to me. Um, great job. Now, I don't know if you have any insight on that uh, as far as that actor or anything. that They didn't like chop up his audio files from a long time ago, did they? No, and 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 I hope you'll allow me this. We'll get to him because it's weird okay. you should mention him, but this morning as I w- was drinking my coffee and preparing to talk to you, I found an article about him and it was like, Oh my God. I mean, it just made me so excited. Um, I want to go back to your reference to the cigarette burn. The reason that those pops they're they're little blips that would show up on film, you would watch them and it really is just a little flash of white light in the corner. Well, the reason that is there in classic films is what it was meant was as the director of photography had their eye in the viewfinder while they're shooting a film, mm-hmm. let them know that that magazine of film was about to run out that, that way it's so they would pop and they'd know, Oh, we're at the end uh. of the mag film and it went away rightfully. And it should with the advent more of modern technologies and whatnot. And, and especially with digital. So for them to put it here, and here's the bigger thing, not to erase it. Right. Because you could take that if you wanted to, you could shoot that film now and you could go with digital technology and say, please get rid of the flash. Right. 
but to keep them, I was like, Oh my God, I am so in love with David Fincher. I already have a bit of a man crush on David Fincher and my man crush got deeper and deeper. It's um, to me, it's a little bit like watching vinyl. If that yeah. makes sense. I mean, it's got the warmth and the pop. Yes. I, there are so many moments in this that I just, it feels not, it doesn't just feel like a love letter to films. It feels like history. It, it feels like truth. And, and, and I, I teased this earlier, the writer of this film was his father, Jack Fincher, who, if I'm correct, let me click through this. I believe his father has passed away mm. yet. Yeah, his father died uh, in 2003. He wrote this and I believe that Fincher was like, always saying, I don't know how I want to make this movie. But I don't know how to. And he finally found the way now his father having passed away in 2003, there's almost no way to interpret it. Anything other than that. David Fincher probably rewrote this script, right? But he gives his father sole credit for this. This was his take. He wanted to tell this story. Um, and I, I think that the, the screenplay is pretty solid. Whoever ends up writing it, I can find no fault with it. I am going through to find you our actor for Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to that. Yeah. Is Tom Burke. He is, let's see. Wow. He, he was born in England. Um, he born 1981. He has, let's see, I won't say a ton of credits, right? He He has 60 credits, but I mean, they aren't like, wow, this guy is well known, but, here's what they do. They don't try to cast somebody that looks exactly like Orson. Right. It's he's similar enough that you aren't taken aback. Like, Oh, what's wrong? I want to know if you caught one thing though. Orson Welles famously hated his nose and never appeared on film without some version of a false nose on his face. Wow. at the very first moment when he appears that he has something draped over the tip of his nose. Is this when he comes to visit uh, Mank in his hospital bed? No, it's uh, the, it's the, I, I believe it's the very first shot where he's on a phone and he's oh. kind of lit uh, by one of those, mar- uh, what do we call those vanity lights, like the whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he turns to the side and he had, a little covering over his nose and he was supposed to be on stage. And I thought, Oh my God, this is the most brilliant thing. This is somebody that knew their subject and and they completely do this, but his voice, Mm. man, I, I, I was shocked by how perfect it was. And what I read was in this article this morning is that Fincher said here, I want you to listen, listen to some tapes. I don't want you to imitate him, but he obviously had a very distinctive voice and you, you kind of have to nail it. Yeah. I don't think that nailing it was a problem for this. No, gentleman. no. And, 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 um, to use some new ter- terminology, um, in the way, only way I can describe the, the, the likeness to <clears throat> Orson Welles is it almost looks like a deep fake video in the sense that there's enough right in the face to, you know, make it believable that that could be him. And I'm glad that they, you know, didn't overly make a, a or try too hard to make that work. And that's something I could see some other directors and or creative teams super focused on, you know, we've got to bring Orson Welles back. We've got to have him look just like it. And I'm glad they kind of went this route. Um, as well as the, um, the, the cinematography and the audio, I think the writing and especially the, the character 
of Mank was written so well with his his uh, quick wit. I mean, it's literally like watching some stand-up through portions of the film where, where and this is my era, we're like, hey, man, you know, what are you talking about? It's a bee's knees, yeah. But he's just got these great little one-liners that he is more sometimes saying to himself and sometimes sharing uh, with other characters in the film that are so well-written and presented that just make it a joy. Even the one that he says to uh, the newspaper magnet um, that eventually gets him invited to go to dinner, which is done earlier in the film when they're on the set, um, I think was just brilliantly timed. So I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about the language and then the the flow of the story, um, of which I'm very familiar with the first half, um, and what your thoughts are. Now, there are parts that I remember. I know seeing some some names and some mentions of Nazis and and uh, McCarthyism and some other stuff that, that plays a part in there. Uh, so I was wondering if you could kind of give me your thoughts on on some of that and, and the way that it was played into the film. Well, let's start real quick with what you just mentioned there sure. with Nazism. One of the, the big things that really hit Hollywood uh, during that era, the late 30s into the 40s, was the coming of the Nazi machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was terrifying for a lot of Hollywood for a very, very distinct reason, and that being that most of the studios were controlled and run by people of the Jewish faith. Right. And now I'll, I, the reason I want to bring that up is that there was a lot of inner turmoil amongst a lot of people in Hollywood because they, they looked at the Jewish people as being unfair and just going for the money. That kind of awful thinking where you're, you're just pigeonholing a group of people into one thing is one side of it, because then you start looking at the advent of, uh, Oh, good Lord. My, my brain, as I, as I'm trying to think of how to navigate this, it, you're looking at the advent of the depression right. and people, their, their thoughts of, wow, you're taking on my money. But at the same time, there's that hint of what's happening with the Nazi machine. And even Louis B. Mara, who was a Jewish individual is almost kind of like poo-pooing who Hitler is at moments of it. And you know, at the same time, what is Hitler going to do to the Jewish people in Germany? So there's that undercurrent. Then there's the undercurrent that they do a lot of spinning with the depression and what it meant in the advent of the writer's guild and how the writer was actually seen at this time in Hollywood is sort of a, meh, you yeah. know, we don't need you. You're, you're just the writer people. Um, Hollywood is incredibly fascinating at that time because there were so many plates spinning of how this would work. And this, those are still there, but you start looking at even what the film then tries to present because we don't just see Mankiewicz, his brother, Joseph Mankiewicz, the Mankiewicz family, if you don't know in Hollywood is incredibly fascinating. Their great nephew, uh, Ben Mankiewicz is probably one of the biggest film historians to me at this point. He's, he's on AMC and he really is just a fascinating person. Very smart. But in this, we, we meet a lot of people. Yeah. We, we get Charles Letterer, who is the nephew of Marion Davies. He is a, a writer in, of, in and of himself. Mm-hmm. You've got Selznick. You've got Irving Thalberg, who, interestingly, is sort of the right hand to Louis B. Mayer. Died at 37 years old, and that's the reason we, to this day, have the uh, Irving Thalberg Award. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, he died very young. But th- then you meet this writer's room. That yes. to me, Jeff, is one of the most fascinating moments because I was like, oh my God, they're putting them all here. And these are the people that wrote some of the great early films. And that's how, that's really how these these studios existed. They would have a pool of writers mm-hmm. and they seemed like they were interchangeable. You could just replace them tomorrow. But you go look at the films these people wrote and you're like, oh my God, it right. is the, the history of, of, of Hollywood. I didn't recognize all the names when in that scene, but I, my, my Todd radar was going off. Like these people are important, but even seeing signs of like Upton Sinclair. Yes. Um, and of course I'm like, you know, version 4.8. I'm like, uh, brains like, yeah, you should probably know who that was. I think I remember reading about it in a history book and I don't have anything on it. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll face the music and ask Todd now who was Upton Sinclair. Uh, Upton Sinclair, was oh he's the one wait wait let me see if it's coming back did he write the book about the meatpacking plants i believe he may have uh i and because i'm trying to think in fact i'm going to research it i don't want to come across as an idiot well welcome uh uh, you're listening to the other kind radio (laughs) as todd and jeff look stuff up on the internet please stand by Um, he's one of those writers so i'm looking here uh he won the pulitzer prize in 43 and of course I can't find the exact book he won for, but he did write the yeah, book, the jungle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The jungle. Um, yay brain. You, you win today, <laughs> but I mean, that that's exactly, I mean, there's so many things about this film that are like, he, these people would have been important. And what I found interesting about the Upton Sinclair mention is that I'd never thought about, Oh my God. Upton Sinclair can almost be put into Citizen Kane for his influence on 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 the film in that you can kind of see the machinations of somebody running for office who doesn't get there, which is in Kane, which, by the way, did you get to the part where you kind of see Upton Sinclair speaking to a group of people? It's, it's so funny you mentioned that. That was another time I woke up and he's and I remember waking up and seeing the name and then remember, like, I should know what that name is. And then I immediately was distracted by, wow, whenever they recorded this audio, they did a really good job. That is a spot on, you know, replica of of sound that time. And then I think I closed my eyes again. But I I did see that part. He's standing on a little stage and 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 Mank and everybody's kind of standing off stage or off to the back. Yeah. And it's very reminiscent of the moment in Kane when Joseph Cotton's character Leland is speaking kind of in an alley to people starting the campaign for Charles Foster Kane to run for office. And the few people are clapping just with hands that then cuts over to an uproarious applause. Right. Um, by the way, fun fact. And I did have to, I was like, is that Bill Nye, the science guy playing Upton Sinclair? And it is. Bill oh, Nye. wow. A little cameo in there. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about this film for, for hours. We, we are coming into 103, but just to kind of get us um, headed towards the gate here, um, and, 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 and this is why I love having these conversations with you, and you're, and you're so genuine, and I know sometimes you, you're concerned about being getting a little too nerdy or, or you know you start popping off with the knowledge. Don't ever worry about that because that's what makes this great is that you're able to draw all those lines. I'm over here high-fiving myself and doing dances because I remembered who Upton Sinclair was. So, you know, there's <laughs> there's a little reference for you. But let's let's get into, as I said, we start to wrap things up. Let's get into, I mean, we've obviously talked about 
cinematography, the the sound and and the story and direction. Just lay it on me. What was your you know um, the movie ends? I mean, are you jumping around? You know, excited? Were you? I mean, what I, would you, what would, would you say to the kind listener about this film that uh, kind of sums it up? I was overwhelmed. I'm going to be very honest to the point that I. I had a reaction that I often have when I love something and that was, I don't know what to think right now. Right. I, I'm, I, I, I can't process this. And the moment that I had that is going to be a moment when you see it at the end, <laughs> um, when you actually make it to the final half of this film, um, they allow for a press conference with Orson Welles and, this is going to make me have to mention one other thing about the film, but I want to start here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beneath the Orson audio bite is it says, uh, it's all true press conference. The reason I geeked out at that point and almost got out of my chair is because Orson directs Citizen Kane and almost immediately you, you hear it in this film that people are trying to buy the negative to burn it. And that is true. They, at four Hearst, you had people like Louis B. Mayer trying to buy the negative to get rid of it. Wow. Because they were terrified of him that, you know, if you pissed him off, he could take you out of the newspapers, which was the way people knew to go to the theaters. So people were trying to buy it because the two media reporters, uh, Luella Parsons and, um, oh my God, Harper, I can't remember her first name, uh, Hedda Harper, had seen the film. They got it back to him. People wanted to destroy it. So Orson is already moving on to his second film called the magnificent ambersons which is a a masterpiece in and of itself here's where the, the that it's all true comes in he's shooting that film the studio now knows that kane is going to be this kind of screwed up thing and they go hey orson we need you to go down to rio de janeiro <laughs> and we want you to shoot a documentary about uh Oh my God. It's, it's Brazil's carnival. Ah. I want you to shoot this and it's going to be a great propaganda piece. You know, people need to see this at the war time and blah, 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 blah. Well, the reason they sent him is because they wanted him to get away from Amberson's. They had seen the cut of Amberson's and they destroyed the final reel of the film and had, uh, Robert Wise, the great director himself, who was a friend of, of Orson's and who had been the editor for Citizen Kane, reshot the end of that film. So here it is, Fincher even giving you that little nugget of history of truth. And I thought, if I weren't already in love with you, right? I mean, that was it. The moment when he said, by the way, this all, this kind of tumultuous thing that you're seeing occurred while, while uh, I almost called him Charles Foster Kane, while <laughs> Orson Welles was getting screwed. And he had no idea he was getting screwed, but you hear his voice and you're thinking, you don't know what's happening to you right now. And it's kind of the, the message of the film. Wow. How there's always somebody doing that to somebody. And, 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 and take that to heart, kind listener. Anybody just Brando shows up and says... Listen, we want to send you to Rio de Janeiro. They're right there. Your antenna and your alarm should go off. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so so you, you're you're still processing as far as it, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and venture to say that this is definitely somebody. I mean, they're they're sitting there this weekend. Uh, they've got their Netflix subscription, and they're going, hmm, what should I? I should watch something. This I definitely think is something we're both recommending for people to go 
and go down that rabbit hole. Because the other thing I noticed while I was watching, and I have this, I have you to thank for this in, in your 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 uh, Jedi-like training to uh, get me into film, is I could tell within 15 or 20 minutes of watching it that I was going to need to see it a couple times. I mean, like mm -hmm. I said, there's so much going on. So it is a film that, you know, does require some, what, what I'll say, active viewing, um, and that you have to, you know, be aware and be paying attention, but definitely worth it. I, I, I worry about, you know, the, the average person watching this and, and thinking, Oh, this is about old Hollywood. This is about blah, 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 blah. It's, it's really not. It's about one man's quest for validity. Um, he, he wants to be seen I, it's, it's, that's even hard to, to describe what Mankiewicz wanted. He he came from a family of thinkers and whatnot, and it's he wants simply to have that opportunity to to contribute something, to shine, to say something. Right. And what happens to him as he follows along? You know, and one thing we've not said it, Gary Oldman, dear God. Oh yeah, I mean, talk hey. about leaving the the icing off the cake. Good lord. I mean, he is everyone in this. I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this quickly because I know we need to wrap. Oh sure. But but Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, who plays Marion Davies, who's already an actress. I'm like, wow, she's damn good. Well, Lily Collins plays kind of his nursemaid. Lily Collins being the daughter of Phil Collins. Ah. And, and yeah, and then you just go down this list, and we see people all through this. Charles Dance who if you don't know who charles dance is he was uh tywin lannister on oh yeah yeah plays hearst and you just go along you're like oh i know that person i know that person i know that person this cast is stunning it is just across the board perfect i don't expect that everybody in the world is going to know about kane but if you're watching this and let's say let's go back to your question earlier you watch this before you watch kane mm -hmm. i think the thing that you're going to notice when you go watch kane is I actually kind of see the style of Kane a little bit better because there's a moment when uh, the Charles Letterer character first comes on the movie lot and is kind of getting to know Mankiewicz where it does a shot where it starts with a letter in the camera and then it flips away and we see him walking behind it. That is such a Kane moment. You know, it's this idea that it's almost hyper reality. And I, when I saw that, I thought, oh, this is the style right. so if you're watching this just watch for the story of a man self-destructing that is truly what he is but in his self-destruction he finds his own moment it's it's just a magnificent film it really is and, and it's been an an absolute magnificent fun time talking about this film and like i said and i'm not kidding you kind listener todd and i could actually sit here just just as friends if we didn't have the podcast and sit here and talk about this movie for another hour but we know you've got stuff to do. I know Todd's got stuff to do. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Anything else you want to add on there, Todd? No, I okay. I was just so excited to watch this film. I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about it with you and with the listener. Right. So take the time to get out and watch it. And just, just imagine the conversation we'll have when I watch all of it. And I <laughs> get to actually speak to the film. Um, I do want to make the kind listeners aware of uh, one thing real quick. Uh, I am going to start bringing up uh, a couple of things that we're going to post on our social media areas, and, and you can find us on Twitter uh, by looking up at TOK Radio, TOK standing for the other kind, 
and then radio after that. TOK Radio. We're going to be putting it on Instagram, which uh, is TOK Radio Host. TOK Radio Host for Instagram. I did a little teaser this past week and took a picture of a movie that I was watching and posted it on there and, and want to give a tip of the cap to... Who's your girl? 506, who correctly identified Barbara Streisand in a rather weird pose um, as Hello Dolly. So I'm going to start posting some pictures, a uh, single frame, and seeing and testing our other kind Radio Nation on some of their uh, film knowledge is being able to recognize it. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but after all of that said and done, I'm going to echo exactly what Todd said and say, Get yourself in front of your television, get yourself a snack, and check out, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane or Mank, make it a movie afternoon. Check it out. Uh, definitely worth the time. want to thank Todd for all of his input and hard work today. want to thank you, the listener. You guys are making this what it is, and, and it's it's a great ride. So thank you so much for your support. And while you're wandering around, practicing that social distancing and staying safe just remember we are the other kind radio thanks for listening the other kind radio the other kind